Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. I'm really grateful to be here. My name is John, if, uh, if you don't remember McLaren's introduction. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Church of Marin. We are on the other side of the bridge. Uh, we're a sister congregation in the same denomination. And I want to tell you that we've been praying for you guys. Uh, not by name, although we'll be able to do that a little bit better now as I've been able to meet some of you. But we've been praying for this church plant. Uh, I met Christopher three or four years ago when he came uh, and talked to the, the broader body of pastors in the area about his desires to come and be a part of the church plant in San Francisco. And so it's really, really fun to see uh, in flesh and blood uh, worship happening right here in this little space in San Francisco. So uh, very grateful to be with you this morning. I wish that I could have brought my family, Kathy, and my three kids, Micah, Asher, and Kate. Micah is 10, Asher is 9 now, and Kate is 7, and they wanted to come, but as you'll find out someday, uh, scheduling can be a challenge, and so we had some issues, and I just want to say that infants are my best audience, so uh, I am not distracted at all, I'll do my best to put her to sleep, and if she, uh, if she responds and calls back, then all the more, bring it on, we'll be good. So... Um, uh, without any, uh, any more introduction, you'll find that the scripture upon which our sermon is based is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is one of the four Gospels that begin the New Testament. These Gospels are the stories of Jesus Christ, His person and His work, and the way that God has come in Jesus to set our world right, including uh, you and me. And so this is from the beginning of Matthew. You may recognize it. It's the story of the three Magi. If you're following along in your little worship folder here, we're right here on page three. Let me read this for us, God's word to us. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Judea with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. It's given for our good. It's true, and it's given because he loves us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, We ask that the words of my mouth, that the meditation and the thoughts, the contemplations of our collective hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And we ask that you would be faithful to your promises, that when your word, your gospel goes forth, it would go forth in power. It would accomplish your good purposes in us. And Father, 
Uh, all of us in this room have one thing in common. We need your good purposes accomplished in us. We need your grace. We need your love. We need it at every moment, including this moment. And so we ask that you would pour yourself out with abundance upon us. We ask it for your good, for your glory, and for our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, you may be wondering, why are we reading a scripture, uh, a Christmas scripture uh, in the end of January, early February? And uh, some of you may know that this is actually not a Christmas story. Uh, in the history of the church, in the worship of the church, this is an epiphany story. Epiphany is a season of the church calendar that comes after the Christmas tide season. And epiphany simply means revelation. And so during the season of Epiphany, we remember and we celebrate and we dig into the good news that God has made Himself known. He's manifest His self, His very person, His grace and His love, His salvation to us in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now that's the Epiphany season. This is actually the last week of Epiphany. Believe it or not, if you're following along next Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday. We're into the Lenten season, heading toward Easter already. It seems like it came very early. Uh, But we are in Epiphany, and so uh, I do have the right to this passage. Thank you very much. Uh, But uh, I especially appreciate this passage uh, for the time in which we find ourselves, not just this morning, uh, but uh, the time in which we find ourselves more broadly in our cultural moment. Uh, We live in a cultural moment that has in many ways, by and large, lost sight of this epiphany reality. That one of the greatest desires of the God of the universe heart is to make himself known to us. That's one of the greatest graces of the Christian message, that God is not hiding himself. If he's hiding, he's hiding in plain sight. In fact, it is his deepest desire that we would know him so that we could know his love so that he could love us, uh, he could love us, and we could love him in return. It actually, according to the Christian story, according to the Bible, it's the deepest desire of every human heart. We were made for it. We were made to know this God, uh, to be known by him. And again, as I said, it's uh, it's a cultural moment in which, by and large, uh, that has been lost. I was reflecting on the lyrics of one of uh, my favorite bands right now, Fun. Do you guys know the music, you know, the band Fun? And, uh, and, the, and the, the songwriting of Nate Roos is really, uh, in many ways, profound. And I think he's got his finger on the pulse of a lot of the culture in which we find ourselves. He says this in the song, Some Nights. Uh, I'd sing it for you, but you really don't want that. <laughs> Nick, you want to come up and sing Some Nights for us? Uh, he says, so this is it. I sold my soul for this. I washed my hands of that for this. I miss my mom and dad for this. No, when I see stars, when I see the stars, that's all they are. When I hear songs, they sound like a swan. So come on. My heart is breaking for my sister and the con that she called love. But when I look into my nephew's eyes, man, you wouldn't believe the most amazing things that can come from some terrible nights. Did you hear what Nate is saying in these lyrics? He's reflecting on the world around him, the world in which we live, and he finds it to be a world without any deeper meaning, right? without anything beyond what we can see and touch and feel. Beyond the material, there is nothing. This is all we get. And so when he hears a song, and he's a songwriter, right? when he hears a song, he reflects on it, he says, it's just a song. 
right? It's just, it's just this, the noise of a swan. When I see stars, that's all they are. They're just stars. There's nothing deeper, no meaning beyond that. And yet, and yet, despite this, right, despite his stance in this world that this is all we have, so let's make the best of it. Despite that, he says, but when I look into my nephew's eyes, man, you wouldn't believe the most amazing thing that can come from some terrible night. In other words, when I look into my nephew's eyes, I see something. I see some meaning. I see some beauty. I see some transcendence. I can't help myself. And the question is, what is that? And what do I do with that? Right? And the God of the Scriptures says, I know what that is. That's me. That's me manifesting myself to you. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have ears to hear? It's Epiphany. The Magi had the opportunity to see a star. And when they saw the star, did they see just a star? No, they saw something more. They saw that the God of the universe was communicating His presence and His love to Him. And they followed and they went on a journey. The story of the Magi is an epiphany story because by God's grace, He's revealing Himself. He's not content to let us remain in our blindness and in our darkness. And so He's breaking into our reality. And by His grace, which we can't resist, He's going to show Himself to us. But often for us, it feels like what it felt like for the Magi. It feels like a journey of discovery. And so that's what I want to look at with you in the time that we have this morning. This journey of discovery of the Magi it begins with a star, it moves to the Scriptures, and it ends at the foot of Jesus. Right? It begins with a star, it moves to the Scriptures, and it ends at Jesus. And as we work our way through, uh, let's ask ourselves three questions. With the star, the question is this, are you paying attention? With the Scriptures, the question is, are you participating? And then with Jesus himself, the question becomes, are you king-making? Are you paying attention? Are you participating? And are you king-making? So let's get started with the star. Look again with me at verses 1 and 2. We read that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, These magi, these wise men, are stargazers. And back in the ancient, uh, ancient times, in the first century, stargazers were sort of a combination of astrologers and astronomers. They were astronomers in the sense that they would study the stars. And they, these guys knew what they were doing. They were very, very, very smart. And so they look at the stars. They're figuring out what's happening physically in the world around them. But... At the same time, they're astrologers, and so they're looking for meaning. And so when they see something that's happening in the heavens, they assume, because of their worldview, that something important is happening on earth. Right? One way to think of it is when they see something in the physical heavens, they assume that there's something going on in the spiritual heavens as well. Uh, in other words... What they're tapping into, somebody mentioned earlier, is a bit of God's common grace. What they're tapping into is what theologians more woodenly describe as uh, general revelation, right? And that is the reality that God can and will and does let himself be known to us in the physical world around us. 
Now, this is the way that the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1. He says, what can be known about God is plain. Excuse me. Because He's made it known. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying exactly what the experience of the wise men was. Uh, The Apostle Paul is putting together an incredible argument and theological treatise, uh, but I happen to prefer, at least for this morning, uh, the experience of the Magi, because it's their experience that we can find our own experience in. And maybe you have experienced this as well, that God makes Himself known, not fully, not completely, not sufficiently as we'll see, but truly in the physical world in which we find ourselves. And so in this story, it sort of raises the question, what was the star? Uh, Was it a supernatural? Did God put this star supernaturally in the sky? Or was it a natural phenomenon? Uh, Theologians have gone back and forth and scholars and historians have studied this. And there are all sorts of possibilities. We won't be able to figure out uh, exactly what happened because we weren't there. But uh, one of the options was that Jupiter and Saturn were actually seen in the night sky in the first and second and third uh, uh, years of, uh, of this century, and, uh, and they were in conjunction with each other in the skies. And at that time, Jupiter as a planet in the sky represented royalty, and Saturn at that time actually sometimes represented the Jewish people. And so it's very plausible that these wise men saw in the star Jupiter, saw in the sky, Jupiter and Saturn, and recognized something's happening in a very kingly way with these people, the Jews. We don't know that that's what's happening. Uh, Could God have supernaturally put that star in the sky just for them? Absolutely. But here's the point. They saw something in their world and they recognized that there was something beyond that physical reality that they needed, that they had to explore. They couldn't let it go, right? It didn't say everything that they needed to know about this God, but it said enough for them to pack up their bags and get on their camels and take the journey. Uh, And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe, like this star, you've had an experience, uh, perhaps in nature, an experience in the world around you, uh, in which there was a moment of transcendence, a moment in which uh, something happened that you couldn't deny there's more to this reality than just what I'm experiencing here. And I don't know what your story is. Uh, I have a few stories of my own. Uh, One, a friend of mine, a neighbor actually, her name is Sabrina. She likes to say that she found God in a kayak. Uh, she was out in the bay in a kayak enjoying the morning. She'd done it hundreds of times before. But on this particular morning, as she sat in the kayak and reflected on the waves and the beauty around her, it hit her that there's a God and He exists and she needs to know Him. And of course, this comes as no surprise to God that she would discover Him in this way. Uh, in Psalm 29, we hear and we read that the voice of the Lord is over the waters and it thunders. And so in that moment, she heard the thundering of God's voice and it was louder than any other reality in her life. I don't know what your experience has been. A doctor performing her first open heart surgery might have this kind of experience. A child's first look under a microscope, right? Right? Uh, a, a scholar's study of a uh, social movement like the beloved community of the civil rights. Uh, could be that. It was for Charles Marsh. Uh, as, uh, as our, uh, uh, excuse me, as Nate Royce writes, it could be the look of a nephew's eye. 
It could be a grandmother's kiss. It could be a painting that you've seen a thousand times before. But in this moment, beauty breaks through and it's something that is calling to you, come deeper, come find me. It could be just about anything. The psalmist says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies pour forth His speech. There is no place on earth in which His voice does not go. There is nowhere that you can go to escape God declaring Himself in His beauty and in His majesty to you. Gerard Manley Hopkins puts it this way, the world is charged with the grandeur of God It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. And so what are we to do with the star experience that the Magi had, these star experiences that we have? What questions can we ask ourselves? Well, if you remember, the first question that we're going to ask is, are you paying attention? Right? Because what the Scriptures are teaching is that God is declaring Himself to you if you'll look and take notice. That's what we see in verse 2. The Magi said, we saw His star and we have come. Right? We noticed. We were looking. And when we saw something, well, we couldn't do anything else but to follow. So as you're sitting in this room this morning, in this city of San Francisco, do you recognize Maybe this is exactly where you are in your journey to finding Jesus Christ. Maybe you're at this moment where something is pricking your heart. I don't know you. You don't know me. I don't know where you are. But maybe you're having this experience and it's tugging and you can't let it go. And so you find yourself inexplicably uh, in any place where you would think I would find myself any other place on Super Bowl Sunday morning but here. And yet here I am. Because I've seen something and I can't shake it. So maybe that's you. And if that's you, let me say, you're on to something. Keep noticing. Keep looking. Keep following. Those of you who have been instrumental in starting this church plant, let me remind you that most of your friends, most of your neighbors, most of your colleagues in this city, they're magi. They're not yet followers of Jesus. But most of them most of them will have moments, just like Nate Royce, even despite themselves, most of them will have a moment of some transcendence and they may not have any idea who or what is behind it, but they're having those moments. And let's just take a minute for a second and back up and think about who these magi are. These magi are the ultimate outsiders for the people of Israel. The magis are Eastern, They are Gentiles. Did I point east? I think I did, right? You're west, my east, right? They're Gentiles and they're astrologers. If you look through the scriptures, anytime you find reference to stargazing, it's very, very negative, right? Because what the Bible says is stargazing is a way to look at the creation and ignore the creator. Now, these guys aren't doing it knowingly, but that's what they're doing. And so for the Jews of the first century, these people are anathema. They are complete and utter outsiders. And yet, who does God reveal himself to? King Herod? Yes, he does. But the Magi as well. And look who responds, by the way. The religious insiders? No. The diabolical stargazing outsiders. So do you have those people in your life, in your day-to-day, that you think God could never get a hold of them? 
right? They're beyond the pale. They're too whatever it might be. Perhaps you're sitting in here and you're thinking, that's me. I'm too whatever it might be for God to get me. And yet, be encouraged by the stargazers. Rejoice. God goes after outsiders. My friends, the good news of the gospel is that we are all outsiders when it comes to our relationship with the God who made us. And by His grace, He brings us in. It's His deepest desire. And nobody, nobody, nobody is beyond His reach. No one is beyond the pale. So are you noticing, are you paying attention to those around you who may be having their own star experiences that you can enter into and say, you know what? You may not want to hear this, but I think I know what that is. Can we talk about that? Now, one last application uh, that we could think about here is, are you noticing, those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, the star moments in your day-to-day? Do you know that every day when you wake up, there are as many moments as there are breaths in your day in which God is revealing Himself to you and looking to grab your attention and to draw Him on these little mini journeys day by day from whatever headspace you find yourself in or heart space you find yourself in right into the presence of Jesus. Look for those. Notice. God is a God of common grace. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. Pay attention. But of course, the journey doesn't end when the Magi see the star, right? They get on their camels and they go somewhere. And so the journey takes us to the Scriptures. Look again with me at verses 3 through 6. Did you notice they come to King Herod. King Herod wants nothing to do with the Messiah, whether he's a baby or grown, who's going to threaten his power. So he receives these Magi. Uh, He's troubled. And he assembles all the experts and he says, hey, is what I think going on really going on? And they say, yes, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And then they open up their scriptures. They read their scriptures. And King Herod, upon the guidance of the scriptures, sends these magi to find Jesus. Now he has his own purposes, right? But did you notice that it's through the scriptures that the magi move from the star to Jesus. And this is the way that God almost, almost, almost always works in our journey toward Him. We have an experience in the world around us and we move into the Scriptures because we're asking the question, well, who is this God who I seem to have some sense of as I look at this star experience in my life? Uh, We could ask the question right now, well, what's wrong with the star experience? Right, I have a friend in Marin County who says, well, I go to the Church of the Fat Tire. Right? In other words, I get on my mountain bike and I ride up Mount Tam and I have my own experience with God there. Is there anything wrong with that? Not necessarily, no. It's not wrong. It's just not enough. Right? It's just not sufficient. You can have a true experience of God on your mountain bike on the mountain, but it's going to leave you short. You're missing out is the point. Uh, Does the God who thunders over the waters love me? How will I know that? Does the God that I find on the other end of the microscope care about what I do with my life? How do I know that? Is the God who I found in this beautiful social movement, does He have any claim on my life? How do I know that? Right? Is this God 
a God who loves me? And how could I possibly know? The answer is, or we find our answer in the scriptures. Right? That's where the Magi go. That's where we are encouraged to go as well. So what could we do in application to this stop on the journey of the scriptures? Well, my goodness, we could say so much, couldn't we? Uh, we could explore the nature of God's written revelation, right? Through the pen of multiple men over multiple centuries and how it all holds together in coherence and how Jesus is the center and how do we understand the Bible and how does it work in our lives and all those things. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks. We could spend years talking about that. I just want to say uh, one thing this morning. Let me encourage you, if you are a member or a regular attender of this congregation, that almost always the way a magi, the way a seeker comes into the life-changing reality of God through the scriptures is in the context of a community that loves those scriptures. Let me say that again. The way that somebody who is searching finds Jesus in the scriptures is almost always in the context of a community of people that love those scriptures. I was doing some study on this passage and, uh, and one of the commentators, his name is Dale Frederick Bruner, an amazing scholar and humble man. He said this as he was reflecting on the work of the star transitioning to the work of the scriptures. He said, from now on, the work of the ministry is to do the work of the star so that others may feel the deepest and most profound joy. I said, whoa, whoa, hold on, rewind that. I thought it was supposed to be the work of the scriptures now does the work of the star. But Bruner said it's the work of the ministry of a church that does the work of the stars. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my goodness. We're being invited into the privilege of God's work of epiphany for somebody else as we participate in the community that loves the scriptures. Right? So let this encourage you. Our next question is, are we participating? And this is for those of you who are followers of Jesus. Do you know that as you gather in this church plant, little as you describe it, not my words, as you sit in this room and the city's going on around you, right? And you look out the window and maybe sometimes you think, what are we doing here? Like really, what are we doing here in this crazy city in which most people don't recognize the God that we serve? And, And you have those thoughts. Do you realize that sitting and worshiping week after week after week and singing the scriptures and praying your prayers and listening to the word of God delivered to you and partaking at his table with Jesus himself, as you do these things together, you're providing an opportunity for somebody to come in and sit in that chair and be directed from their star to the scriptures to Jesus. Let me just remind you, what a glorious privilege you have. This is a wonderful, wonderful, amazing opportunity God has given you. I hope that you can be encouraged. Uh, True confession, I did preach this sermon a few weeks ago, okay? (laughs) That might be why we're doing Matthew 2 now in February. It's still Epiphany. I can do this, right? But as I was preparing this sermon and I was reflecting on this sort of bombshell that Dale Frederick Bruner laid on my lap, Uh, that the work of the scriptures is done through you and through me and through us together. Our congregation has a little app. It's a way that you can keep track of what's going on in the church and it has a calendar and a social feed. It's a fun little thing. I can show it to you later. But as I was was reflecting on Bruner's quote, uh, my notification pinged. 
on our Grace Church of Marin app. And I looked down, and somebody in our congregation had posted this quote. I'm going to read it to you, and then commented on it. And this is the quote that she posted, and then I'll tell you what she said. The quote is from N.T. Wright. Uh, He's a great New Testament scholar who's a bishop in England for a long time. Uh, And he says, I use the word church here in his writing with a somewhat heavy heart. I know that for many of my readers, the very word will carry the overtones of large, dark buildings, pompous religious pronouncements, false solemnity, and rank hypocrisy, right? And you're thinking, yeah, most of my neighbors, when they think of church, they think rank hypocrisy. That's exactly what they think, all right? So track with them here. But there is no easy alternative. I, too, feel the weight of that negative image. I battle with it professionally all the time. But there's another side to it. For many, church means just the opposite of that negative image. It's a place of welcome and laughter, of healing and hope, of friends and family and justice and new life. It's where the homeless drop in for a bowl of soup and the elderly stop by for a chat. It's where one group is working to help drug addicts and another is campaigning for global justice. It's where you'll find people learning to pray, coming to faith, struggling with temptation, finding new purpose, and getting in touch with a new power to carry that purpose out. It's where people bring their own small faith and discover in getting together with others who worship the one true God that the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. Now, no church is like this all the time, but a remarkable number of churches are partly like that for quite a lot of the time. He says, yours included, I'm confident. And so this is what my friend Casey posted a single mother in our church. Thank you, Grace Marin, for being this church to me where I can find God revealed and God relevant. You see, for Casey, it was the church community that embodied the scriptures for her in a way to know that Jesus is real, that Jesus is relevant, that Jesus is ultimately the one who has been calling to her. She just didn't know it, and now she does. Are you participating? But, of course, the journey doesn't end with a star in the sky. The journey doesn't even end at the Scriptures. The journey ends at Jesus Himself. And so, uh, that's where we go with the Magi. Let's look at it one more time as an encouragement to us. Verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped Him. Then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. My friends, Christianity is not all about knowing the right things. It's not about finding the right church plant to participate in. It's not about obeying with the right actions. It's not even about building the right kingdom. Christianity, at its core, is about being known and knowing, being loved by and loving the God of the universe who made you and who has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. And once you're there, the world opens up. Whatever he has for you is glorious. But that's the center. The center is a relationship with the God who made you. And you know that there's a difference between knowledge of and knowing, right? You know this in your day-to-day relationships. Uh, My wife and I, for our, it's hard to believe that this is true, it's my 40th birthday and our 15th wedding anniversary, and so we're going to take a trip in September. You can applaud for that. That's good stuff, right? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, and I think we're planning on, well, I know that we're planning on going to Montreal. Uh, I love research. So we have this great idea of Montreal, right? It's sort of the star in the sky. Kathy's always wanted to go. It's sort of, the, right, it's there. We, we can do this. The kids are not coming and we can do this. And so it's this great, great uh, idea that's captured us. Uh, and so what I do with that is I research. I study up, I find the best places to go, the things that we can do, sort of try and make the travel itinerary, put it all together. Right? But there's nothing like actually going and being there with my wife. I can study all I want, but if I end up stuck here while she goes to Montreal, it's no good at all, right? Sort of like being stuck here while some other presbyters are in Hawaii, but <laughs> nobody's complaining. It's fine. I'm glad to be with you. I really am. But this is, our relationship with Jesus Christ is like that, right? You can have a sense of the majesty of God. You can even learn lots of things, lots of great, amazing things about this God, about how much he loves us, about his salvation, about how much he wants to restore the whole world and, and your role in that. You can learn all these amazing truths and still not be at the heart of what God has for you, the relationship with him. So the question is, how do we know if we just know about Jesus or if we actually know Jesus? Right? That's a real question, isn't it? Sometimes you wonder that, those of you who are followers. Like, I know the right things, but am I just stuck in this knowledge arena or do I actually have a relationship with Jesus? And how would I know? Well, let me encourage you as we close with the Magi. If you become a kingmaker like the Magi, I guarantee you, you will know Jesus. Right? Have you thought about this before, that God himself is born into our history as this baby Jesus, and who were the first to recognize his kingship? Not the religious elites, right? Not even his parents that we know of, but these Eastern, diabolical, stargazing magi. They come in, and they bend their knee, and they worship, and they offer him their gifts. And when they do that, they know him and they leave another direction. Their life has changed forever. So as we leave here and as you reflect in your community groups together and in your prayer groups, ask yourself the question, what gifts am I laying down at the foot of Jesus? Maybe back up and ask the question, do I treat Jesus as the means to my own ends or am I giving all my means to his end? Am I laying down my time and my talent and my treasure at his feet to see what he wants to do with? Ask yourself the question together. How are we spending our time getting to know Jesus more? Ask yourself the question together. What am I doing with my talents? How can I in my workplace or at home with my child or wherever I find myself do my work with God in mind more than my prophet or my boss's latest desire? Ask yourself, what am I doing with the treasure that I have of my resources, of my money, of my good name, of whatever I have in me? How am I using me for Jesus? And I can promise you this, that as you do that, you'll know him because that's his promise to you. The Magi journeyed from the star through the scriptures to Jesus And Jesus is the heart of God's gracious epiphany. He's the end of our journeys, all of ours, together. 
So let's pray that God would be faithful to continue to reveal himself to us and give us the courage to follow the star all the way to his presence. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this time together. We're grateful that it's here, mysteriously to be sure, but it's in this kind of place with these kind of people doing these kinds of things, praying and singing and confessing and listening and rejoicing and eating and drinking and being sent out. It's here that we find you in all your goodness and in all your love for us. We just want to take a moment now to say thank you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.